o r g. Welcome to the Poet to Poet series. I'm your host, Dina Serrano. My guest today is Kathleen Weaver. She's the author of Peruvian Rebel: The World of Magda Portal, with a selection of her poems, published by Penn State, and in 2009 was nominated for a Northern California Book Award. Her translations from Spanish include the Nancy Morejon poems, Where the Island Sleeps Like a Wing, published by Black Scholar, that was nominated for a Bay Area Book Award in translation. Many of you probably heard some of those poems when Nancy. Morejon was visiting us from Cuba. She also translated Julio Cortaza's Nicaraguan sketches, published by W. W. Norton, and Fire from the Mountain: The Making of a Sandinista by Omar Cabezas, published by Crown Publications. She co-edited The Other Voice: Twentieth-Century Women in Translation, published by Norton, and The Penguin Book of Women Poets. Welcome, welcome, Kathleen Weaver. Thank you so much, Nina. Well, I'm very impressed by the literary output here, and what's most exciting is that you have a forthcoming book of your own poems called "Too Much Happens." Yes, I'm very grateful to Post Apollo for bringing this book out. And the very exciting part is that you're going to share those poems with us today. Yes. Where would you like to start? Well, I thought I would start with a poem or several poems that are on the themes that run through the collection, concern with the environment as we all have, and also political concerns. The the war in Iraq that really began this excursion into writing seriously, getting busy with making poems. Oh, I would you like to first tell me a little about that? Well, after I finished the Magda Portal biography, which, as I was mentioning on your show before, I think was a long-term project that finally came to fruition. I w- was able to think about doing something else, and that coincided with the rise of our. Miserable U.S. adventures in the Middle East, and Robert Bly was speaking at Cody's and called on writers to pay attention to writing about that war, and I found myself doing that because I think, as we all experienced, we needed some kind of way to come together and express ourselves and our concern and our protest. Not that poetry is able to make a difference, but it is an expression. Well, one of the things that Eduardo Gallano said that it would be foolish to think that poetry could change the world, but it would also be foolish to think that there would be a change in the world without poetry. Well, we don't want to think of a world without poetry, so we we don't defend writing it.、Um, I'm grateful when I'm able to do it. So let's hear some of these environmental poems that you mentioned. Well, it, these poems tend to be rather abstracted. This one is called "Spring Rain with Blackbirds." The land stripped of its mountain, ore extracted, the heart leveled, a water table's dark where you can't see, but light comes back on cheese a plan like a mirroring sword. The blackbirds nestled in a pie are only sleeping in the oven. They will take wing and sing. 
Spring rain settles the dust and finds a seed. Lost in a damp trance. Yes, start again. This is a poem called Another Summer. It's in three parts. A wall darkens in a sacristy. Not new, I suppose. Shadows as if burnt there. At the far edge of dissidence, a wheat sprig or the face of an emperor embossed on a gold coin. What is the cost of each thing that is spent? You can't know. Why do I ask you? If the moon on a black anvil is hammered to incandescence by desire, see what can be done. I would like to notice each wrong turn as it is taken, or perhaps it is only a kind of loneliness, this introspection. 2. The glaciers calved ice flows, the ice shelves heralded breakages, are things of earth which accepts anything as flower coronets fade. Do all sovereigns have small flopped heads? It's a scramble to get across the simplest thing I need to tell you. 3. Beach flowers. The dusty millers faded very degree. The oil slick approaching the shore crew change and change. Another summer, the same as ever, but not exactly. Then it's late. The rose finished, petals dropped, but the sense, the platonic hope of it, the DNA. What you hear is water as it enters the river. You've been listening to the poetry of Kathleen Weaver from her forthcoming book, Too Much Happens, here on KPFA 94.1. Do you have another poem for us? Well, this one goes back to the inception of the Iraq war. It's called Not Even. Not even the lies are good. Yellow cake uranium out of Niger. I told you so. What shall we do with what we know? Did you like the lies? None of those. Light a match and be done with it? Done with what we know? An effigy goes up in flames like a grove of date palms or a concentration of houses. Is this one of the poems that you began writing after you heard that call from Robert Bly? Yes, I think it goes back to that. It's a while, a while ago now. This is also part of that but more abstracted. It's called When the News is as We Know It. Congruent with our lives and air, an earthen wind, akin to a true self, inhabits consequence, whispers an endless name, hanging like a stalled moon, bred like ground stones in some other mouth, translucent fire, then the footage stopped. The streets we intended to use, where, where? I remember now what it was I couldn't imagine. Meadow hours, smear of grass on cotton, demeanor of summer when you knew such peace. When you say abstracted, what did you mean? Abstracted in the sense that it is not about anything specific that's going on in our daily lives or in the news, but about a sense that we so much want to find some area of peace, certainly peace in the world, but when that cannot happen, peace perhaps that we have been able to return to 
in the past or imagine in the future or find in the present. What are the poems you have for us? Well, this is a poem that I thought might be of interest as it goes back to another time and thinking about Latin America and the struggles of those days of the battles against the uh, dictatorships. It's called The Roads. Murder is an endless mood in the city and the forlorn towns or drifting over fields where hunger turns the stones. The cry for justice is a dead man's shout along the roads. You try so hard to rest. How many know how difficult it is to rest without justice? Close your eyes. Sleep. I'll wake you if you cry out in a terrible dream. I love that line about how difficult it is to live without. Could you read that line again? How many know how difficult it is to rest without justice? That's so true, isn't it? So true. I think I think it is. And your next poem? Well, this is a poem that also goes back to the Latin American struggles written for someone close to me who was part of those. It's called Altiplano. Dearest love, your eyes the color of sweepings, like the fur of small animals hurrying for their lives. Where were you? What listening posts informed you? There are no generals in a guerrilla army. We were the ones who believed we could safely govern. To ascend through banks of fog to arrive on the Altiplano, how dry our wishes in this atmosphere as equatorial heat creeps north and south. I can't recall the specifics of the torture. It didn't happen to me. Sometimes in the afternoons I entertain morbid thoughts. There are days when the merest breath lifts a curtain or starts a war. Days when a hanged man can't be taken down. You had mentioned earlier that you started writing your more politicized poems after you heard Robert Bly's call to poets to start writing about the war. And this one about Latin America seems like that also came out of your literary life and that your literary life also came out of your political life when you told me the story of how you came to write the book about the Peruvian revolutionary and feminist Magda Portal. Could you share that with our audience, how you got involved to write her biography? Well, writing the biography of Magda Portal took me very deeply into the 20s and 30s in Latin American politics, Peru in particular. And I was fortunate to meet Magda Portal, the great feminist and activist of the early 20s, 30s and 40s, when I presented one of her poems in the Penguin Book of Women Poets and when she came to this country in the 80s. I was able to do a very long interview with Magda, which began a long correspondence. And it was only after she died that I remembered that I had not really done anything with that material. And that sent me back to get busy and to bring that project about. And it was a long slog to do that kind of research, which, as it turned out, had to be scholarly in order to find publication. So that was one more element that Latin America has given me, the, the knowledge of her life and of those heroic struggles that, of course, came to defeat, as a matter of fact. And her life was a lesson in how to keep very positive 
and very hopeful and to trust in the young people in the future, even though you have lost for the moment. We have not lost definitively. So that was a great lesson, a very encouraging one. And another poem? This poem was written for my first husband, Alan Frankovich, who was the documentary filmmaker, the director of the three-hour documentary history of the CIA on company business. And this is called Notes for Elegy, and I will mention that it alludes to his unfortunate demise. He was coming into this country, attempting to come in, his name on the security watch list, and he was not able to succeed in entering the country because he died while being taken aside for interrogation by the officials at the Houston International Airport. He died of a heart attack. This is called Notes for Elegy. Days. I can't get back to them. They exist with God today. Burning light projected through small frames. You never wanted a stable substance to be your medium. How many reels of film to make a case steeped in night and concentration? Did you think of me when the train window darkened, obscuring birch trees or the Russian steps? A leafage of questions clothed you, restored your spirits like a fast. Then something stopped, on rang a bell, refused the taste of names. Your breath returned to a sky that warred with nothing. Did the interrogator ask you many questions? Did your breath leave you all at once? I ask rhetorically, or should I say I wasn't there? I seem to see a meadow now, a scorch mark on a sleeve, a needle, tiny scissors, a sewing kit for travelers, smallness of mementos in a room, a Cuban stamp reproducing a famous photo, the red flag raised above the Reichstag in Berlin. You just heard Kathleen Weaver reading her own poetry. That was a very moving poem and a very frightening story in a way because so many of us go through airports with our hearts in our mouths, never knowing what could happen or who it might happen to or how it might happen. It's become a very different kind of experience. A very dangerous one for many people now, and it's a great concern. Here is a love poem that I would like to read. And this is, of course, for my husband, Bob Baldock. Later the same day. Remember what we never heard of Lawrence or of Monet or of one another for that matter, when even to ourselves we weren't much, nervous children, amenable to risk and so on. Not one of our kisses in a blissed-out dark could last, but we knew that and lived as in a dream more real than permanent. Remember what the arrow said as it entered the deer's hot heart? You are my life. There's a hoarseness in the trees tonight. Can you hear it? Is it the crows settling noisily? Or just the leaves worried by a wind that can't be harnessed to our projects? A sky with a few counts against us segues into what comes next. There is no farewell to love. This is called... Present hour, time erodes the human artifact. The statues hauled out of the sea, the pitiless news in unpainted eyes. 
unstoppable the winds, the waves, how many times the world comes to an end, chancing upon us. A lesson in what can't last is this hour, O oh God, what use is sorry. Dissolving conjecture are the facts addressed to no one. Consider as well the days chalked up to what? Strife, a vision of judgment far from the wars. I imagine various endings, light, no rain, the continual hammering of carpenter birds. Here is a poem called Uncharted. Sometimes what's given us isn't acceptable. Things are where we left them, but we can't find words. Then it's night, whose starlight barely illumines, while one or another thought lengthens into thoughtlessness and we fall asleep under a roof. It's best not to speak sometimes, that is noted. In the morning, a room returns to itself. Light allows us objects, books, clothes, maps, a flat topographical green, a charted blues, still water. We are travelers. You just heard Kathleen Weaver, and she's been sharing with us her new poems for her upcoming book, Too Much Happens, that's going to be published by Post Apollo Press. And how can people get copies of the book? Well, it will eventually be available on the Post Apollo's website in the fall. So thank you so much, Nina, for having me today. Well, it's been a real pleasure, Kathleen, and I look forward to having you again. I look forward to that, too. Thank you. You're welcome. I have in the studio today poet and novelist Judy Juanita. She's written a marvelous book called Virgin Soul. Welcome, Judy Juanita. Thank you, Nina. I'm so happy that you invited me here. Well, we're very glad that you're here, and we're hoping that you're going to tell us a little bit about Virgin Soul and read to us. How did the book begin? Virgin Soul is what I call the female foot soldier story. I was active in the Black Panther Party when I was a student way back in the day. And as I got older, I wanted to write about it. And I kept looking at books coming out of Berkeley, coming out of the 60s, and then the Black Panther literature canon started to grow. And I kept thinking, I'm not seeing my story. And I realized after some years that I had to write it. And that was my task to do and to figure out how to do it. So I attempted it several times, but it took a number of rewrites to get it in the right voice, evocative of what I wanted to bring out. And you've done a wonderful job, as all the critics seem to agree. Thank you. Could you begin by reading us from the very beginning of the book? Yes, I'll read from the very first chapter just a little bit. Uncle Boy Boy was a dentist, and Aunt Olaray was his wife, and I was not their adored child. I was more obligation than kin, their dark-skinned orphan in residence. I had gotten accepted into San Francisco State as a freshman. But my financial resources amounted to my $72 monthly social security check. I wasn't about to ask them to support me. It was 1964 in Oakland, California. And the Monday after I graduated high school, I hot-footed over to Oakland City College and registered. 
Very soon thereafter, I moved to the Berkeley YWCA for $12.50 a week and kept my head attached to a dictaphone at the Alameda County Welfare Department 20 hours a week to earn my way through school. Thus, one month out of high school in July 1964, I hit Oakland City College's summer session. What I loved there was listening to the black intellectuals and white boys from the W.E.B. Du Bois Club talk. My friends lumped all of them together as communists. On hot afternoons, we sat for hours on the front lawn of Grove Street, cutting class or coming back after class to see if they had fainted from heat prostration. I was there as often as I was in class, even though their language made no sense to me. Fair play for Cuba sounded like U.S. volleyball teams going to Havana. So another thing that was going on was the Vietnam War and all of the protests against the Vietnam War. So this was happening at the same time that the black power movement and the black is beautiful explosion was taking place. So chapter 17 then has a little vignette about that. Let's hear it. Okay. I went to have my natural shaped at Original Brothers Hairstyling Salon on San Pablo Avenue. The young barber, with his sculpted beard and afro, kept to the task, commenting on my hair, just above a whisper. You need to come back every week to keep your fro up. There were brothers in the shop who had goo gobs of hair. I knew they weren't coming every week. Barbershop orators, they held forth. Ladies, cool and silent, flipped through ebony and jet. Your hair grows fast, so you know you have to keep it trimmed. Someone asked a loud-talking brother in army green fatigues if he had gotten his clothes at a thrift shop. He said, this is what I wore in Nam before they dishonorably discharged me. Yeah, but you ain't in Nam. You in Oakland, bruh, someone said. Nam, people need to look this in the face. He replied, yeah, Mac, someone said, I catch it on the box. TV, the brother from Vietnam said, sucking his teeth. White folk world. Keep it neat. Keep your fro trimmed. So what's the real deal, Mac, someone said to the brother from Vietnam. They looked at him scornfully. His hair was unkempt, and he didn't have that Grove Street Marxist rhetoric down. I wore this for three months in Nam. Didn't bathe or shave. Rinse my teeth with water from an effing stream. One of the women customers frowned and flipped even faster through ebony. He noticed. That's the way it was, sweetheart. One guy said, man, you ain't hitting on nothing. You sound like Hogan's heroes to me. Everyone cracked up, even the ebony reader. A barber kept talking low. You got that African bump back here. Your hair would look good real short. The vet spoke. How many brothers you know coming back in boxes? People started murmuring. Alphonse, Terrence. Yeah, man. Larry ran the 440. Couldn't outrun the Kong, could he? The brother from Nam said, That's just it. Splibs being on the front lines. Only they ain't getting shot by the Kong. They getting it right in the back from white patties from Georgia and Texas. Oh, man, that's ridiculous. A brother in a front chair said. Another said, Do the Vietnamese got prostitutes with razor blades only for brothers, you know, stuck away up there, like in Germany in World War II when they said we had tails? Even if you don't get a cut, keep your line together, sister. The vet lowered his voice. People paid more attention once he lowered his voice. He said, it's different. I'm telling you, we got more in common with the yellow man than your so-called fellow white Americans. He looked around and picked up a coffee cup. 
It's all different, I'm telling you, and we can't even see it with our eyes wide open. Man, Dow Chemical makes this stuff, polystyrene. This you're drinking from makes napalm stick to the skin when the bomb explodes. Now I'm strictly business for Dow. This ain't about no democracy. Napalm is some terrifying stuff. His voice got loud again. Man, going in there was terrifying. Would you like your baby sister roasted alive to make a big corporation bigger? Stop that. Not with God as my witness. Uncle Sam gave me a dishonorable discharge. Give me another one. Hit me two times. Boom, boom. Hit me three times. Keep the shape. That's what you want, sister. My barber raised his voice and directly addressed the vet. That's why your broke ass needs a J-O-B. Oh, wake up, the vet said, easing in the front chair. Wake up. For the next 20 minutes, I looked at the floor, watching his black tufts build in piles, then hills, then rows of hills, until it all became a landscape of hair. The original Brothers Barbershop and Erletha's Beauty Shop were two of a kind. Because my hair grew so fast, and I was so used to my grandma, Erletha, her beautician doing it, I found having a natural took just as much time as a perm or a press. But it was a black halo of flowers that had burst atop my head after a long, freezing winter. It stopped traffic, and I loved that. That is probably the most feminist view you can have of a political situation. Your hairstylist whispering in your ear, like that constant voice that we're hearing in our heads about our appearances. And I love that he's a whisper, and the other guys in place are just yelling and shouting. Yes, yes. because they're both working on getting attention. They want to get their point across, but one does it one way, and the other does it does it another way. Well, you've done a remarkable thing, Judy Juanita, most remarkable in writing this book. I didn't ask you earlier how listeners can get a copy of the book. You can go to the website, my website now, it's available there at Judy Juanita's virginsoul.com so it's Judy Juanita S Virgin Soul no apostrophe no apostrophe and you can also go online and get it from Amazon Barnes and Noble all over the place well it's a tremendous accomplishment thank, thank you. you so much thank Judy you, Juanita. I appreciate you having me on oh it's been a pleasure is written by Mary Rudge and read by me, Nina Serrano. She was riding the elephant. She was riding the camel. She had the snake around her neck. She was riding the camel. She was riding the elephant. She had the snake around her neck. She was writing her poems in the desert by the river as the lotus opened where manna fell from the sky into her hands taste of milk and honey she carried the baby to safety and beauty and joy she danced with people she loved and who loved her to song and timber along the spice roads and she was riding the camel she was riding the elephant she had the snake around her neck 
She gathered with her senses the essence of the world. In her dream, the sense of the spirit. She was writing her poems. This has been Nina Sverno with Jill Montgomery for the Poet to Poet series. Please check out my website, ninaserrano.com, to hear other programs, poems, and a listing of my upcoming events. Thanks for listening. to Beyond Dreams with Repo Diaz. Presented by Stilo Entertainment and La Peña Cultural Center, Beyond Dreams celebrates the cultural richness and diversity that immigrants contribute to the performing arts. Focusing on the musical genres of hip-hop and poetry, Beyond Dreams will run for one night only on July 18th at 7 p.m. at La Peña Cultural Center, 3105 Static Avenue in Berkeley, and includes a panel on immigration that is hosted by David D. This event is wheelchair accessible. Funds raised will benefit La Pena Cultural Center. Beyond Dreams has been commissioned by La Pena Cultural Center with support from National Endowment for the Arts. For more information, visit lapena.org or call 510 849